The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Good morning, church. How we doing? Real excited to be here with you today. It's the beginning of the Advent season. It's a special time. It's a sacred time, and I'm real excited to get into God's Word with you today. That's what I'd like to do with you uh, right now. There are lots, lots to look at, so let's get to work. Uh, I'm Pastor Vince. I do a lot of the Bible teaching here, and uh, I'm looking forward to doing that with, uh, with you now. If, if you don't have a Bible, we will have these verses on the screens, but if, if uh, you have one or an app that you're going to use, please turn to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to look together at verses 1 through 20 today. Uh, as you may have already figured out, we're going to take uh, a break from our study in Mark, uh, and we're going to celebrate the Advent season together. Um, as you're turning to Luke 2, uh, I, you know, every year, I, I didn't grow up in, in a movement that observed Advent, so I like to just take a moment and kind of explain the meaning and the purpose so everyone knows what we're doing uh, and why. So the word Advent it comes from the Latin word adventus, and that basically means arrival or coming. So what that means is the four weeks leading up to Christmas, we remember, we contemplate, and we celebrate the fact that Jesus came into the world just as was promised. And also, for us, as we look back to Jesus coming the first time and the promises that led up to that, we, we almost can't help but to look forward with anticipation to Christ's coming again as he promised. Amen? Amen. So I think most of us are aware of this to at least some degree. Uh, many things uh, in our world, they've, like many things in our world, the, the beauty and the meaning of the Christmas season has been diluted by a whole host of distractions and, and various meanings. And so us taking four weeks before we celebrate the birth of Jesus to kind of orient or reorient and tune our hearts to the wonder and glory of the incarnation will hopefully help us to keep our focus where it belongs all year long, which is upon the truth and the goodness of God. You'll probably notice as we move through these four weeks, um, you know, there's to some degree, a pressure or a feeling maybe that churches and, and particularly maybe pastors feel to you know, bring people to the Word and show them something they've never seen, try to, or at least come at it from some angle they haven't thought of, something new and stay creative. And, and there's not, that's not necessarily a bad thing to, to do because God's Word is living and it consistently grows with us as, as our perception shifts. But I, I, what I'm hoping you'll notice is that over the next four weeks, my goal is not going to be to try to show you something you've never seen. It's going to be to stir again in you an awe for things that hopefully you have seen and to increase again our wonder at the beauty of some of the basics of what God has done in Christ. Uh, there is <laughs> there's no shortage. I'm sure some of you, at least most of you, have seen. There's no shortage of, of memes out there that are trying to use humor to cope with the weirdness and difficulty of this year. And, and to be sure, uh, for many, this has been a hard and tumultuous year. And, and that's why I believe that the Lord wants us to focus on the peace that only Jesus can provide 
as we celebrate Advent this year. And so uh, what I want us to do is, is read Luke 2, uh, verses 1 through 20 together, and, and let's just let's take a minute to rejoice in, in this beautiful truth that we see here. As I said, Luke 2, and we're going to do verses 1 through 20. Here we go. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. It's an uh, ambitious goal. Uh, this was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about the child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Praise God for his word. Uh, we see at least a partial answer to uh, that, that song. Uh, I guess Mary did know some of what was going on, right? Uh, she treasured those things in her heart, and at least to, to what degree they understood that Christ the Lord was among them in this baby, uh, she, she had a hint, right? Amen. So uh, before I really get into and begin to examine with you this truth about the, the peace that Jesus provides... I want to take a moment just to point out something we saw here, and it's, it's pertinent, to, pertinent to our cultural moment, okay? I'm not sure, you know, what your knowledge of, of ancient uh, Middle Eastern geography is, but basically from Nazareth where they went down to Bethlehem would have been about a 70-mile journey, uh, not flat, not easy, so it was, this was a, a significant mission uh, to make this kind of southward jaunt. Um, and, and we notice here that Joseph and Mary, basically, they were forced by the government to travel that 70 miles to be counted in this census. And, and what makes it even a, a bit worse is the point of being counted in the census was so that they could make sure they got their taxes out of you. Nobody's going to amen that? We're not excited about that? <laughs> uh, so this, this was, this was a, a bummer, right? She's very pregnant. It's a very hard journey, even if she wasn't. 
And uh, they're being compelled by the government to do that. And I think it's just interesting here what we see happen. Um, We don't see Mary and Joseph getting on uh, face scroll and talking about how terrible the government was, right? Some of you got it. Some of you got it. If you didn't, just think about it a little longer. But they didn't, they didn't get on face scroll, talk about how terrible the government was. What did they do? They made the trek to Bethlehem. Okay? Now, some of you, <laughs> some of you, and I would put myself in the bucket of people that would, would probably quickly respond this way. Um, you might say, yeah, well, okay, sure, I see that. But what about, what about the fiery furnace or the lion's den? Right? Those are... Because here, what am I pointing out to you? I'm, I'm talking about an occupying Roman government compelling them, that being Joseph and Mary, to make this trip to Bethlehem while she's super pregnant. And, and that isn't cool, right? And just so that they can tax them. And, and so, and what am I implying by saying that they didn't complain about it or, you know, try to get out of it, but they just went ahead and did it? What, well, I'm implying there that 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 was the right thing that they did. But then you might say, well, what about the fiery furnace? What about Ratchak, Meshach, and Abednego? What about the lion's den? What about Daniel, right? Where they couldn't just comply. And, and, and I, I guess if, if that's what you would say to me, I would kind of say back as gently as possible, yeah, what about them, right? Because those were instances where men of God were faced with a direct and inescapable binary option, either worship the human king or worship God. Okay, And so there is a difference, and I'm getting to a point here. I, I'm sure most of you right now don't like my point, but you may not know my point. <laughs> so just give it a second to unfold, okay? Because <laughs> here's, what, here's what I don't want to do. This is, this is, we started Advent. I don't want to get too far down in the weeds on this. I, what I really just want to say is this, how the Bible doesn't let us have as simple of an approach to how we deal with government as we would like. Okay? God uses, in this instance, the occupying Roman government to decree, and their decree, to move Mary from Nazareth to Bethlehem in order for Jesus to be born there as prophecy foretold. Okay? You have to grapple with that. All right? They would not have gone from Nazareth to Bethlehem where the prophecy would have been fulfilled had it not been for the occupying Roman government in power at the time saying, come here so we can count you and get your taxes. Okay, Pastor Vince, are you saying you really like taxes? No! Not at all. <laughs> okay? Sure, surely some of my ancestors were in the Tea Party, I'm sure. But I don't mean the modern one. I mean the one, real one, that happened a long time ago. Tea in the harbor, that thing. Okay, let's not derail. Quit trying to, quit trying to get me off into that, you guys. All right, so... God used the occupying Roman government at the time to move Mary to have Jesus in Bethlehem as was foretold, okay? But on the other hand, those three Hebrew boys and Daniel would have sinned if they had just did what the human authorities were telling them to do at the time. Now, normally what we do is pick which example we're most comfortable with and just kind of lean into that and and maybe... You know, either yell at other people to do that or passive-aggressively, passive you know, uh, imply that they should, depending on your personality. Uh, 
But what, what I'm really saying here, friends, is that we're going to need the, the Holy Spirit's help with discernment on things like this. We can't just assume God agrees with our feelings about it, no matter how passionate our feelings about it are. Okay? The Bible doesn't give you a clean-cut, black-and-white way to approach things like this, necessarily. We're going to need the Holy Spirit's help, which, again, is just another way we're pressed back to the humble place of staying at Jesus' feet, knowing we're going to need his guidance and help, right? For getting our shoes on, <laughs> much less how we deal with difficult questions regarding government and or other authorities, okay? Amen. Now, let's talk about the Prince of Peace now that I've got everyone riled up and ready to fight, okay? Ready? Amen. A uh, couple things, just language-wise, that, that are going to help us set the stage here. So, this word peace, right? If you go back into the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, the word you'll find there for that is shalom. When you come into the New Testament, and the New Testament being primarily written in Greek, you'll see the word irene, okay? And both of them have a, a fuller meaning than maybe sometimes how we conceptualize peace. Uh, how many of you have ever listened to uh, reggae music and or been to Jamaica in your life? Raise your hand. Let me see who my people are. Okay. All right. I love the rest of you still, but I just have a special connection with those that enjoy reggae. Uh, because though you may have never guessed that, I do. Um, so uh, you'll see, like if you if you ever listen to uh, music from that area of the world and or go to Jamaica, you'll see they'll, they'll say "iri" a lot, and that's that's coming from that same Greek word of "irene." Uh, do you have a point there, Pastor Vince? No, I just wanted you to know that because I like it. Amen. I just, I do, I'm, when I've been to Jamaica, they just, they help me be a better Christian, right? Because I'm kind of an intense dude. So I'm like, there was this time I was, I was there and I'm walking to this breakfast thing. And, and one of the guys that was working there, I thought I was relaxed. I'm like four days into a vacation. Natalie's there with me. I'm having what I thought was a great time. I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm chilled out. And I'm just walking and surely something, the gears are turning in my head for some reason. And I'm, you know, I think I'm at peace and whatever. And this guy stops what he's doing and walks several steps out of the way to say, hey, man, relax, man. You're in Jamaica, man. And I'm like, you know what, dude? You're right. <laughs> Took me another deep breath and I just, I even unwound a little bit more. So I love the Jamaicans, man. And so sometimes I just say, I read to myself and just, whew. amen. You can borrow that if it's helpful to you. So um, this, this Hebrew word shalom, the Greek word erene, what we translate in English as peace, it, it doesn't just mean the absence of conflict, right? And I think a lot of times that's what we think of when we think of peace, that we don't have a fight happening, okay? But Peace, in, in, from a biblical perspective, is, is much more than just the absence of conflict. It, it speaks to a, a wholeness, like something or someone being complete and, and unbroken. Okay? And we want to keep that in mind as we think about the title that Jesus has a Prince of Peace and what the implications are for that uh, and why it's such a um, prominent feature in the prophecy leading up to and then the, the description here we have of what the angels have to say about Jesus arriving, okay? Um, this sense of completeness and unbrokenness, that peace is, is more than just not being in a fight, okay? Uh, we actually, we see this word, erene, in the lyrics to the uh, angelic concert in verse 13. Uh, it starts in verse 13. I'm, I'm going to read that to you again. This would have been a rad thing to be a part of. Let me tell you what. Um, 
I'm sure we'll get a glimpse of it in eternity one day, but this would have been cool. So just try to put yourself here for a minute. You're a shepherd out in the field, and then, and suddenly, (laughs) there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. A couple things here. Glory to God, peace among men. This is part of the primary thrust of Jesus' mission and coming. And I think it would be helpful for us. I'm, I'm so thankful that we, uh, as our kind of run up into worship today, we already quoted these verses because they're really important. I think our hearts should find great comfort in the fact that this whole event was foretold hundreds of years earlier by the prophet Isaiah. I think it, it helps, it should help for us to be confident in the reality of the historical events that we're talking about, to know that roughly 700 years before Jesus is born in Bethlehem, we have these words from the prophet Isaiah. The people who walk in darkness, this is Isaiah 9, if you want to take a note. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You will multiply the nation, you will increase their joy. They will rejoice in your presence as with the joy of harvest, as people rejoice when they divide the spoils. For you will break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the marching warrior in the roar of battle and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning, fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. And so this Advent season, we're going to focus on just how far this peace of God reaches and hopefully rejoice in it together. This week in particular, we're going to look together at how Jesus provides us a path to shalom, that peace, with God. Okay, In the coming weeks, that's kind of the first building block of understanding where this goes. And then in the coming weeks, we're going to see how peace with God provides a path to peace with ourselves and peace with one another and peace with the future. Now, it's a fair question to ask as I lay before you this idea that today we're going to focus on peace with God, is is why do we need peace with God? There's a, a fairly common understanding out there, and I think sometimes even we, and I mean by we, I mean those of us who perhaps have rejoiced over the Christmas story many times and for many years, but it can be hard for us to to keep in frame this need we have for peace with God. There's an even more common refrain in the culture around us. They, They understand, they know, they've heard that God is love or that God does love. And so they'll, they'll think something to the effect of, well, God, doesn't God just love everybody? This idea of needing peace with God as if there's if this, if this, if this, as if there's a conflict between us is, is maybe difficult to understand. Where does that conflict come from? God is 
this good God, this loving God, so we claim. So how do we end up in conflict with him? Well, let me read you uh, an excerpt from Romans 5, which I think will lay this out for us pretty effectively. Um, It says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, having been justified by faith, then we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we celebrate the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also celebrate in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I could have really read you verse 1 and verse 6 for the point, and then jumped to verse 6 for the point that we're here for, but I think verses 2 through 5 are incredibly helpful at all times, right? This idea that we celebrate not only what God has done uh, by faith, not only our salvation, but we also, what does it say? We also celebrate in our tribulations, what? Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and that perseverance is the thing that develops character in us. And then on the backside of that process, we have a hope. It's a galvanized hope. It's It's a steady hope. It's a real hope, not based on fanciful musings, but based on the experience of walking with God through difficulty, seeing his faithfulness and being able to trust that he'll do it again. Amen. That hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts. Mm, That's good. Now, here's where the need for peace is going to become clear. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous person, though perhaps for the good person someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also celebrate in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. What does that show us? What does that help us to understand about this need for peace with God? Well, what we first need to know is that through our sin, we have declared war on God. Our sin at its root is always a declaration of our autonomy. It's much like a, uh, a person or a group of people, you know, deciding that they're... they're we, we know better than the, the authority over us, and so we're, we're going to pull back and we're going to do our own thing, and we're, we're not going to listen to you anymore, okay? And maybe that's warranted sometimes in terms of earthly uh, forms of authority, but when you have a, a perfect king and a perfect God who created everything, uh, anytime we assert that kind of autonomy, anytime we believe the lie that that king isn't good or isn't worthy of our submission, we travel off into sin. And our sin then is, it's, a, it's an open declaration of our defiance. It puts us at war, at odds with the God who made us, okay? That is the problem. And that's why, because each of us, every one of us, 
at various points and times have sinned. We are sinners by nature and choice. We have all done that. We've made that declaration of autonomous self-rule by deciding we know better for ourselves than the God who made us. Uh, Now, most of us don't think about that when we stumble into sin. We don't frame um, our our rebellion in that way. Most of us are, are simply tempted uh, and, and we're, we're temporarily blinded to the reality that whatever thing we're about to move into that is, that is in defiance of God's word, we, we, we're temporarily deceived into thinking that thing is better than what God actually offers, right? But it would be helpful for us, I think, to remember, to keep in mind that not only am I choosing a... a terrible counterfeit over the good things that God actually provides when I do that, I'm also declaring again that I know better than you. Well, sure, you're God and you made us, but I have decided in all my human brilliance that I know better than you. And I'm going to head in the direction that leads me. That is one way to characterize and think about sin um, as a, a declaration of autonomy and thus basically war upon God. But God the Father, instead of treating us like the traitors that we are, he sent Jesus to rescue us from the deception and the delusion that leads to our rebellion. I mean, what, <laughs> when, you're, when you're reaching for the idea of God's goodness, and, and maybe you're trying to encourage your own heart again in the midst of trial and difficulty, or you're trying to encourage someone else in the midst of trial and difficulty, or someone that maybe just has never yet been able to accept the truth of God's goodness, and you're reaching for that. Part of, part of what we need to remember and conceptualize is, you know, we, we, we think of God as, as king, and, and, and that, that oftentimes, it conjures maybe unhelpful images in our minds as we try to then square that with his goodness, because we think of kings, we think of human kings, and we think of domination, and we think of the, the coercion uh, through power and fear, and that that's the way kings rule. Oh, but friends, Jesus shows us in no uncertain terms this is not, that's not the way this king rolls. That's not the way this king does things. He sends Christ not to crush us, but to rescue us. He understands that our foolish declarations of autonomy are as a result of delusion and deception, and he sends the perfect truth, his word in the flesh, to come to show us, to love us, and to make a way for us to declare our allegiance to him once again by trusting him. Each one of us, friends, has sinned, and we've declared ourselves enemies of God, and this means each one of us are either fighting against him or we're fighting with him. We need to understand there is no middle ground. Many would like to imagine there's a middle ground. There isn't. If, if God is the creator and king over all, if he's the ruler over everything, we are either submitted to his rule or we are not. There's no safe place to stand in the middle. The Prince of Peace came as a splendid and glorious ambassador from the kingdom of God to give us the terms of peace with him. And those are summarized quite beautifully in the book of Colossians chapter 1. Let me read this to you. Are you you imagining the idea? This this baby we see born here, uh, wrapped in swaddling clothes, in a manger, 
part of, at least part of what he came to do was to be an ambassador. You understand what that is, right? It's a representative from one kingdom that goes to another kingdom. And in this case, he's coming at least in part to explain to us what the terms of peace are. Let me read you from Colossians chapter 1. This starts in verse 13. It says, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So this, this can be confusing. Starting in verse 13, it says, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. That's God the Father. Verse 14, In whom we have redemption. Now it's talking about God the Son. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The rest of this will be about God the Son. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And although you were previously alienated and hostile in attitude, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. There's weeks, months, years worth of beautiful truth to rejoice in here. Let me just point out a couple things. The first, uh, verse 15 it's so important that we see here, and this is not the only time it's said, speaking of Jesus, that he is the image of the invisible God. God had revealed himself in so many ways up till now. He'd, he'd given so much revelation about who he was, his goodness, but we, we see a fullness of the expression of God's image to humanity in Christ. That Christ came Friends, I know you've heard this before, but I'm, I'm just asking you to, to be open to the possibility of letting yourself stand in awe of this again. That the God of the universe, in, in this, this whole plan is that God needs to become a man so that he can suffer the way we've suffered, so that he can be tempted the way we've been tempted, so that he can stand in and he can take the punishment we deserve. God has to become a man. How are, what are all the different ways God could do that? Did God, in order to become a man, have to subject himself to the gestation process? It, God himself, of, of being born as, as a baby, right? Did he have to do that or could he have just come as a full-grown man, already strong, already able to take care of himself, and, and in so doing, con convey a message. He, he could have done that, but what did he do? Instead, he came in the most humble possible way. This is God. Why? It shows, to at least some degree, you, you see at the beginning of Jesus' life and at the end of Jesus' life, and lots of places in the middle, but in, in just crystal clear terms, at the beginning and at the end, you get, you get a sense of just how far God is willing to go. 
in order to accomplish this mission we see talked about in Colossians of reconciling us to him, of saving us and rescuing us from the domain of darkness, from the deception and the delusion that leads us to rebel against the God this good and this wonderful, that God would allow himself to be born and placed in a manger in Bethlehem, to be raised as a baby, and then at the age of 33, to be slaughtered by his own creation. Those bookends of the life of Jesus say so much about the ends to which your God is willing to go in order to have you, in order to be with you, in order to save you and to reconcile you. You, 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 can't, you can't think about that too much. You can't let the reality of what that says about your God wash over you and humble you and bless you too much. You can't, there's, there's not too much of, of you sitting and, and letting that do what it does. That, that should, man, the, the parts of our hearts that have become hardened clay that are, that are not willing to be molded, man, oh, they should just melt and be so softened by these truths. Well, there are things I've heard before. Oh, I know, friends. But there's, there's a beauty in coming and looking again and hearing again and considering again just how good this God is just how far he will go in order to fulfill his promise, in order to accomplish his great goal of us and him forever. Mm. It's very good. So we're talking about the Prince of Peace coming as, as an ambassador from the kingdom of God and to give us those terms of peace. We've we read what those terms of peace are in Colossians, right? That whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Peace through the blood of his cross. Friends, these are the terms of peace that God has set. And, and before I tell you what they are, can, can we just consider what they could have been? A when, when, if, if you've got two kingdoms at war and they come, they send ambassadors or the kings themselves, depending on how you know, brave they are, right out to the middle to talk about, okay, how are we going to stop fighting now? That's what we're talking about here. Typically what you're going to have is whoever's ahead in the fight or whoever it's clear has more military might, whoever's probably going to crush the other side, just, just dictates terms that are favorable to them. Here's what's going to happen. Either this fight's going to keep going and we're going to crush you or you can do what it is we're saying will allow you to not be crushed by us. That's typically how these negotiations would go. But friends, what we have here is a king who comes to the center and says, here's how this is going to work. If, if this fight goes, you're, you're crushed for sure. But here's how we're going to fix this. Here's the terms of peace. I'm going to let myself be crushed, and I'm just going to ask you to trust me. That's how this fight's going to end. That's how this war is going to be over. That's how this conflict is going to come to rest. Instead of you being crushed, I'll be crushed. And I'm just asking you to trust me. What? Friends, that's the gospel. That's the beauty of why. We stand here today and, and we sing songs of awe and we, we try with our frail attempts and human language to declare the splendor and the glory and the goodness and the majesty of this God. 
We, we try to, to talk about how awesome we is, he is, and we try to live in such a way as to please him and to reflect to the world around us how good the God is who has rescued us. Because those kind of terms, it's, it's almost unbelievable. It's, it's scandalous almost. It, it's not the way things go. And yet, this is the gospel of God. This is his terms of peace. I'll take the hit. Just trust me. That's what I'm asking of you. If you trust me, I'm going to count it to you like you took the hit. That's, I'm going to take the punishment you deserve. And if you'll trust me, that'll be the end of it. Praise God. Praise God. Friends, we need to understand the call of, of, of this gospel is a, it is a call to surrender, but it's not surrendering to a king who has shown you his might, and out of fear, now you know he'll crush you if you don't, you surrender to him. This gospel is a king who has come and shown you how much love he has for you, how far he's willing to go for you, and asking you to surrender to that in love, not out of fear, but in love. And we need to know that without that initial peace being made between us and God, between you and God, there will not be peace anywhere else in your life. We need to know that. We need to understand the truth of that. Because in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about how this peace with Christ gives us a path to peace with ourselves and to peace with others and to peace with the future, that we don't have to be a people that tremble in fear about the future, that we can have peace as we look forward. That shalom kind of peace, that irene, right? But it all, the, 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 the foundation that all of that sits upon is on peace first with God. All of the re- none of the rest of them, none of those other paths are open. There's no hope for any of the rest without peace being made first with God. And, and I know that there, what I'm saying today hits different people at different places. There are some of you here who have tasted and seen and understand the grace and the mercy and the goodness of this God. You have understood how absolutely stunning it is that this king would come to the center of the battlefield and say, hey, if this comes down to a fight, you're going to get crushed, but here's the way we're going to fix it. I'm going to be crushed. I'm just asking you to trust me. Let that show you how much I love you. And then, and then be a part of this kingdom you were always meant to be a part of. Let me love you. Let me protect you. Let me serve you. What king, what God says, let me serve you. Only this one. Well, all religions are the same, friends. I don't think so. I don't think so. You sure don't see this. You see a lot of deities demanding service from humans, right? And glorification from humans. The glorying we do in God is not because we fear that he'll crush us if we don't. It's because we've seen how good and loving and merciful and worthy he is to be glorified. It's... It's voluntary, and it's beautiful. It's love. It's, 
It's not fear. And so you may be somebody that, that, that you get that. And, and what, what am I hoping today does? What am I hoping this time in God's word, these reminders of some of what seem to be basic things, but even as we talk about it today, we begin to realize yet again, man, just how deep this goes, just how precious this really is, how inexhaustible the beauty of these truths are, how really if we, if we would stop and do what we're doing and we would, we, would t- we would set our focus on them again, not just glance at it and say, oh, oh, I've seen that, but we really would stop and focus on it again, and we'd give it some time, and we'd let the Spirit of God stir in us again, and excitement about even what seemed to be those basic things, we realize, man, this, this well goes deeper than I could ever possibly plumb. And, and, and we know that, too, because when Peter wrote about these things, Peter talked about the gospel, he talked about the glory of God. Peter said that angels, angels, basically beings that have been around a long time and seen a lot more than we have from our, our measly human perspective, that it, when, when they, in terms of the gospel, he said that angels long to look into what we might think of as just the basics of the gospel. That they're, and, and when he talks about them longing to look, there's, this, there's a connotation in the language that they're, they're entranced, that they're locked in to staring at the beauty of what God has done and is doing, what is unfolding in God's plan of redemption in the good news of his gospel. Friend, you haven't exhausted it. You haven't even come close. And I'm, I'm confident we can spend eternity and will spend eternity rejoicing in these things and be overtaken, overcome, overwhelmed again and again with the precious beauty of what it is we see. And so for those of you who belong to Jesus, that is how I'm hoping that this look into these, what may seem to be elementary things, is doing. That your heart is being stirred again with passion, and your heart is being stirred with with fervor and with affection for a God this good, a peace-bringing prince this amazing. For those of you who have yet to grasp the beauty of this, what Christmas is really about, what the gospel is really about, what God's terms of peace really are. Friend, I'm hoping that you're hearing this and I'm praying over you right now. Even as I'm preaching, I am praying. I'm asking God to help you to be able to see this for as beautiful as it really is, for you to understand how good this God is, how superior he is in what he offers than our our self-declared autonomy and our rebellion and the the going of our own way to try to make our own fortune and and come up with something better than than God provides. It's a fool's errand, and it'll never work. And the only place where true, deep, abiding peace, hope, and joy will be found is in the arms of Jesus. And you're invited. You're invited to come to that center to hear his terms of peace, and to receive the gift that he's offering in that. To bow your knee in acknowledgement of his greatness and his goodness and his worthiness to be trusted by you. That offer is open to you today. And friend, if that's you, and there's still gaps in your understanding, you're not sure what all this means, but you know something's pulling on your heart, and you, you know that there's, there's at least a curiosity being piqued about, man, is, it, is what he's saying true? Is that really because that's not how I thought about God. That's not what I've been told. If, if any of that's happening in you, friend, and you, and you want help, please let us know.
Let somebody know. Let a leader here know. Get a hold of us. However you do it, we will do whatever we can to walk with you to the center of that field where the good king (laughs) brings us terms of peace and to help you receive those because it's the only hope we have. Without peace with God, there is not going to be peace anywhere else in our lives. We won't have peace with ourselves. We won't have peace with one another. And we will vex and be without peace as it pertains to the future. But friends, I just want to say, praise be unto God for the shalom that he has made possible through the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Christ who is our eternal Prince of Peace. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. God, thank you. Thank you. For with the simple fact that we right now can stop and bow our heads in prayer, what that represents, it represents access, it represents relationship. That you, the God of the universe, we don't have to make an appointment to come talk to you, but you have invited us at any time like, like children with a father who loves them to come into your presence, knowing that you're not bothered by us, but that you're, you're joyous, that you receive us with gladness. Thank you. Thank you for what we saw today. Thank you for all that it means that you announced this good news of the birth of Christ to shepherds. Lord, we didn't even touch the depth of what all that communicates. There's so much there. But Lord, thank you for all of it. Thank you for everything you've given us in your word so that we can know who you really are and we can know who we really are and we can know how it is that the sin and rebellion that stands between us can be crushed and we can be reconciled. We can stand in restored relationship. We can experience the love and joy and peace that we were actually made for. Thank you for all of these things. Lord, please Help us as we move into this Christmas season. Lord, you know the temptations. You know the pressures that try to pull us and push us off of a focus upon what this is all really about. You understand where all of that comes from. And Lord, we're asking for your help, for our eyes and our hearts to be set, to be focused, to be overcome and overwhelmed with the incredible meaning behind the fact that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Lord, help us trust you. Help us to desire to be close to you. Help us, Lord, to rejoice as we move through these next few weeks. God, I pray over your people right now. And I ask that a hunger and a thirst, a desire for a greater measure of your peace and an understanding of what all of that means would overcome them. God, I ask that this would not just be something I pray over them, but as you stir their hearts, that they would pray for themselves. They would ask you for revelation and understanding and the power by your spirit to walk out what all of it means that we have a Prince of Peace. We love you. We worship you. We give you all honor and glory because you are the only one worthy of those things. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others 
but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.